Father, thank you so much for people like Rice Brooks who has taken years of study and detailed effort to help us get a grasp on why we believe what we believe. And I pray, Lord, tonight, even in the face and our culture, it stands in the face of great resistance to the things of God, great skepticism and unbelief in the world today. I pray, Lord, for the church to begin to get a firm handle, not only on your word, but, Lord God, our understanding of what's going on in the world around them, to be able to stand up and confidently and lovingly share the truth of God to a world that is so desperately in need of you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. I want to begin tonight by giving you some kind of foundation. I want to give you some reasons behind this series. Why are we doing this? Uh, what, what's the purpose of going through the, all this information about the fact that God's not dead? The first reason is this. It's the voices of skepticism and unbelief. Have you heard any of those voices lately? It's the voices of skepticism and unbelief, and they've been around for centuries. Uh, but uh, some of the ones that we've dealt with uh, in our world is Richard Dawkins and Bill Maher. Let me just say, if your kids watch Bill Maher, they're watching one of their most raging, antagonistic, uh, uh, skeptics, and atheistic minds in, our, in America today. And I'm telling you, uh, God, how many of you know God loves Bill Maher? But I'm telling you what, Bill Maher has an agenda, and his agenda is to undermine the foundations of faith in the world today. But that, he, hey, he's not the only one. They've been around for centuries, and we'll introduce you to some. And here's the impact of these voices. Catch this statistic. <clears throat> Three out of four young people will abandon their faith once they leave high school. Is that not alarming or what? So... I've already talked to Michael a little bit, and, and we've talked, we had staff meeting, talked to our children's leaders, and I said, listen, we're facing some serious adversaries. And so all the more reason, even as young children, we began to, to, to teach them and, 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 and ingrain within them the truths of God for their life and begin to give them the confidence and the knowledge to know why we believe what we believe. Amen. And so uh, they've been these voices that are a fate that we're facing uh, that have uh, 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 just uh, invaded the world of uh, with unbelief and skepticism. Here they kind of taunt us, and they're they're not they're not nice. I'm gonna have I have to be honest. And here's some of their taunts. They say there's no evidence for God's existence, and we're gonna turn. Hey, this series is gonna change that. All right, there is evidence of God's existence. The second one is faith is therefore blind. They say, all you, all you Christians, all you religious people, it's, you're just blind. Everybody say, real faith isn't blind. And that's what you're going to learn some tonight and really throughout this whole series that to, to trust in God does not cause you to have to hang your head or your knowledge or your brain on the door before you come in. In fact, we'll see tonight that it's a real combo, not just of our faith, you know, and our, our blind, you know, it's not blind faith, but faith engages our mind and vice versa. And then they tell us Jesus never lived. The gospel's a fairy tale. And that's, that's invading the world. Hey, that's why three out of four young people are abandoning their faith once they leave high school. 
And the goal of this series, the overarching goal, uh, is really this. Uh, it's it's to, to get people to understand and to show that the, the exact opposite tr- is true. Real faith isn't blind. It's based on what? Somebody say evidence. Amen. And so we're going to look at that evidence over the next six weeks. In this series, I want to tell you, it'll help three kinds of people. Uh, and, and you're in the group. And you're going to be a part of reaching some of these other groups. The first one is seekers. People who are struggling with doubt about God and the truth about Jesus. They're seeking. You know, there's a lot of what they call seeker-sensitive churches today. Because there's, there are a lot of people seeking and searching, trying to find out what is the truth. The next group is the saints. That's us. People who know God is real but can't clearly explain their faith to others. And so over the next six weeks, we'll be able to understand more and be able to explain our faith. In fact, I may introduce to you a track that, uh, it's really a neat track that uh, 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 Rice has put together. It's called the God Test. He uses it in colleges all over America. Been using it for years. Uh, and the, the, you can even put up a big, uh, you know, if some of you Lamarites want to get serious and, and understand the God Test, you, we can order a big banner during whatever kind of day and start giving uh, Lamar students, the God test, uh, and it's a great tool to, to engage them about their faith and about their belief in God and potentially lead them to Christ. And so uh, then the third group is the skeptics, people who don't believe. Uh, and, we, and my goal is, and I believe the goal of this class is, is to uh, engage the saints to the place that they can begin to address the skeptics. Have you ever said this? Well, I don't know all the answers to all your questions, but I just know the Lord touched me. Right? I mean, it's, it's true. We go, well, I know what I feel. And, we'll, and we'll, we'll come to know, hey, we thank God for our experience. But listen, we, we, our experience does not explain the existence of God other than personal testimony. That's, now, that's great and powerful. But when you're dealing with the skeptics, they're just going to go, oh, there's one of those emotional wackos, right? So it's the skeptics. So with that in mind, here we go. Real faith isn't blind. 1 Peter 3.15, I want you to see this. Here it is. It says this, but in your hearts, reveal Christ as Lord. This is the key verse of this whole series. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Everyone say prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. Everyone say reason. To give a reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Now, let's break this down. Somebody say, break it down, Pastor. Look, number one, he, he establishes, hey... We always need to keep Christ as Lord in our life. But look what he says, always be prepared. Let me just say this. You know the reason I believe most people don't share their faith? It's not because they don't want to. It's not because they don't care about lost people. It, and it's not because they don't love Jesus. And it's not because that, that uh, uh, they don't real, realize that they're supposed to. Hey, it's because they're unprepared. How many of you would probably agree with that? I'm just unprepared. I mean, I'm not ready to, I don't know. What do you say? How do you say it? Hopefully the next six weeks, we'll begin to prepare ourselves. And how often should we be prepared? Somebody say all the time. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give what? Somebody say the reason. Now, catch that. 
for the hope that you have. We just don't tell them we have hope. We tell them why we have hope. Why we have hope? The reason. See, you didn't disengage. You didn't hang your head there and your and your brains at the door. Uh, you use reason and faith and hope, and we prepare ourselves, but we do it with gentleness and respect. We're not trying to uh, get uh, you know an army of militant uh, believers to go out and 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 defame the skeptics. It says with gentleness and respect. And so hopefully this series will begin to prepare us for that. Uh, it's, and it's primarily about, you can fill in these blanks, empowering the average believer to understand the thought processes of the skeptical. Now, uh, it, until we can understand how they think, we can't be able to respond to them. So it's, it's to help and empower the average believer to understand the thought processes of the skeptical and unbelieving world and lovingly address them. Amen? That's what it's all about. And so, with that in mind, let's read this verse out loud together because I want you to get... This ought to be a memory verse. If, if I were, if I were uh, you know, if we were in class, if this was Sunday school, it's Wednesday school, but let me just say, we need to memorize Scripture. So let's read it together, uh, everybody together. Here we go. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts reveal Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Everybody say the verse. Where did it come from? 1 Peter 3.15. That would be a great one to memorize this week, to, to engage you in, in realizing, man, I've got to prepare myself uh, to, to be ready and prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason or the hope that is within you. Second Corinthians 10, 5, it's another good key verse. Uh, and, and I think it's a powerful one that shows the power of God's word. It says, we demolish arguments and every high, is that pretension? Uh, every high pretension, yes. My hole puncher knocked the front of that word out. That sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Let me just stop and say uh, the 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 militant atheistic skeptic is not just he's he's mili- he's not just saying I don't believe he's on a most they're, they're on a war path to make sure everybody else doesn't believe as well and so here's and, and it's a powerful pressure as we've seen through the statistics upon our young people and really through us but look what Paul says about what the truth of God will do even in the face of the adversary if you will it says we demolish now that word demolish it means that the truth of God uh, will completely overwhelm undermine and destroy the deceptive misinformation of the skeptical age how many of you know truth is truth no matter where you go? Amen? If this is truth in Beaumont, Texas, if you go to India, guess what it still is? It's still truth. And I'm telling you the truth of God will demolish the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And so with that in mind, you know, when we think about the book... Uh, God's not dead. I want you to kind of just, I want to give you some uh, uh, historical drama to help you understand 
what's been going on for really centuries now with this onslaught and this attack and the challenge that we face against the skepticism of this world. Just some things that have happened uh, in the past century or so. Number one, everybody fill in that blank. Charles who? Darwin. Now, anybody know what he came up with? He rocked the world in, eight, in the 1800s. It was a theory of what? Evolution. Now, now let's just think about the theory of evolution. Now, we as believers, we go, oh, I didn't come. I didn't. I, I didn't come forth from a monkey. I didn't crawl out of the ground as a, a amoeba. Uh, you know, and for for us, that sounds ludicrous. But understand something, Charles Darwin had a huge effect, uh, and here's what he proposed. He proposed that all of life arose from a common ancestor completely by natural processes. And that's the theory, if you will, of evolution, which, which the school system has latched onto. Any parents got teenagers in school right now here? Uh, anybody, have you, anybody faced this? Uh, theory, uh, even in the school system, they just teach an evolution and not teaching creationism. Oh, I'm telling you, uh, it, it's happening. I haven't, I haven't touched down with teachers and educators lately, but, uh, Charles Darwin's had a huge impact in our culture over the past century or so. So, uh, and then there's Frederick, I think I can pronounce his name right, Nietzsche. Did I do that? Fred, Frederick Nietzsche, he introduced this phrase. God is what? Dead. That was his phrase. Uh, and he was a German philosopher in, there in, the, in the end of the 1800s, and, and his influence has impacted culture, impacted society. And then you look at scientific discoveries uh, over, the, over the last uh, century or so, and these discoveries gave false impression that God wasn't necessary to explain the universe. Here we go. I'm just going to hit them quickly. Einstein's theory of what? Relativity. He redefined the way we understand the big, big picture of time and space. Now, I'm, hey, I'm going to remind you, uh, these are not things that I know a whole lot about, uh, but these guys have. And then the quantum theory. It revolutionized our picture of the subatomic world at the smallest level. Particles don't seem to follow the same cause and effect rules of the larger world of planets. I know, hey, I know nothing about that. Uh, that's, I guess I missed that in class. Here's one I know a little bit about. You've heard this. The big what? The Big Bang Theory. This discovery told us that there was, abs there was an absolute beginning of space and time. Now, how many of you know the Big Bang Theory has it partially right, I think? There was a beginning. Everybody say, in the beginning. There was a beginning. We just know who the Big Bang came from, right? Now, the Big Bang Theory is, of course, you know, it just, there was just a big bang. And it was all by natural means. And to me, let me just stop and say, that takes more faith to believe that than to believe there is a God. How could it be? It just baffles me. And we're going to read a scripture in a little bit that's going to validate that perspective. So keep that in mind. Uh, and so there was the Big Bang Theory. And then uh, also, and, and as we move into kind of some of our early years, the Time Magazine, 1960s, uh, the Easter edition, uh, it said this. It asked the question, is God dead? 
And then we move into, hey, not too long ago, an interesting phenomenon, September 11th. September 11th, after the tragedy of 9-11, there was a surge in the writing of books that condemned religion as a reason for the attacks. Now, this is interesting. It's almost like there was a, a collusion, if you will, among the, 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 the skeptic world, the, 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 the naturalist, if you will, who, who believe everything comes from the natural realm. There is no supernatural. There was a rise in books that, that, that began to attack religion. And they used September 11th as a springboard. And I think, uh, how many of you know, it's, I don't like being uh, uh, linked together with religious fanatics. But that's what they did. And we'll explain that a little more later. Here are some of Richard Dawkins. He's probably the most famous uh, of our time, and he was a biologist from England. He wrote The God Delusion. And then the late Christopher Hitchens' wrote, uh, work was called God is Not Great How Religion Poisons Everything. Wow. Next slide, boom. I'm going fast. Is it, there we go. Uh, so, oh, they, is that the only the other one? Okay. Uh, Sam Harris, uh, he, he wrote the book The End of Faith. And then the one I mentioned earlier, Bill Maher, he just said, you know what Bill Maher said? He said, religion must die. Wow. I'm telling you, these are the voices uh, uh, of, of even our modern day who have come against us in this day, come against the foundations of faith. Uh, uh, and the September 11th thing is interesting to me, and it reminded me of a, of, of a part of uh, Rice's, I don't know if I'll read it, I might just tell, I'll tell the story. Rice, uh, after, after September 11th, uh, he and a group of people from his church, I think he, was, his, he pastors a church in Nashville, they, they started heading to New York City to minister, and they ended up starting a church This is doing phenomenal now, but in the early days of their ministry there, uh, he, he became good friends with a, a restaurant owner, and he would go in there all the time and eat. Uh, and uh, this restaurant owner came and got him and said, Reverend, there's some folks over here need your help. And he, he said, okay. So he went over there, and there was some well-to-do uh, people in the entertainment industry and the kind of movers and shakers, and they, they had had some issues with terrorism. They, some of them had had, uh, what's the, anthrax mailed to them, and they were all up in arms. And he said, listen, he, and he told him this. He said, if there's anything 9-11 can, can teach us, it's this, that all religions are not the same. Now, what are these guys trying to tell us? It's all the same. But he told these guys, it's, it's, he said, those planes that flew into your buildings and killed your loved ones and friends. That's not my religion. That's not my God. The God I serve caused me to get on a plane and come and help you. And I thought that was huge. And I think about it, but hey, what, what does, what does the, the religious skeptic try to do? You're all the same. Do you see it with Bill Mark? Hey, if Bill Mark and if any if any religious man messes up, guess what? He takes them through the mud, and guess what? We are all just like them. 
That's what they do. And so that's what we're battling. And the negative impact has been undeniable. I'm telling you, there's been a huge negative impact. Look at these stats. And when it comes to the, the uh, millennials, uh, it took me a while to even know who the millennials are. And then I finally realized I'm not one. I haven't been one in a long time. Uh, millennials are people from the age of 18 to 29. They asked them back in 2007, they said, uh, do you ever doubt the existence of God? 83% said what? Man, that's, great. that's pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. Five years later, in 2012, 68% said no. You know what that is? That's a 15-point swing in only five years. What does that tell you? Their impact is making an impact. Their efforts are making an impact. We are not winning the war when it comes to the minds of our young people. And so, and if, and if we had time, we put the math to it, uh, we, we may be, uh, we may lose a generation right here. Do you see that? It's really true. And I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen over and over. Kids go to college, uh, and, and even before they get there, man, they drop like flies. They head off to college. They, you know, you pray for them in the altar. God bless them. We're praying for them. They never come back. And so, uh, we've got our work cut out for us. Uh, in, in fact, uh, uh, young people are going to need more than an experience if they're going to withstand the skeptical onslaught that awaits them once they leave high school. I love what William Wilberforce said, and, uh, and, and he basically single-handedly ended slavery in Great Britain. Wil- William Wilberforce said this, Christianity has been successfully attacked and marginalized because those who professed belief were unable to defend the faith from attack, even though its attackers' arguments were deeply flawed. Now, that was back, and you can tell by his hairstyle, that was a long time ago. He said, Christianity has been successfully attacked and marginalized because those who professed belief were unable to, to defend the faith from attack, even though its attackers' arguments were deeply flawed. That's what this series is all about. We're going to try to turn the tide uh, from that standpoint and begin to realize, hey, uh, uh, you know what? We don't need to be brain dead when it comes to our faith. Everybody say faith is not blind. It's really not. Here's what, here's what uh, Rice told his children, his own teenagers. He said, this stuff may be over your head, but it's not out of your reach. This is not out of our reach. It might be over our head a little, it's over a little bit over my head, uh, but it can't, hey, it's not out of our reach, okay? And so we're going to begin the process of giving some answers to the, to the questions of our generation and the questions of our young people. And, and uh, uh, with that in mind, uh, 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 Rice has given us seven important foundational points that we're going to go over uh, and just kind of establish as kind of some foundation in our life. Uh, and the first one is this, uh, and, and yeah, here we go. Number one, God commands us to use reason. I love this. This is a great point. What are we, what are we, in fact, uh, uh, the critique of a skeptical world is you just got blind faith. And they use reason and they say, well, we are using our reason. You're using your faith, and it's just blind. We use our reason. How many of you know God says to use both? 
You don't hang your brains on the front door when you walk in the church. Here's a scripture from Jesus, and it takes on a whole new light. Mark 12, 30 says this, Love the Lord your God, what? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Your mind, and with all your strength. Look there. Hey, here's the key phrase that we need to understand from that. We come to God through our reason, not against our reason. He said you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So catch that we come to God through reason, not against it. Here's another key verse, Isaiah 118. I love this one. He says, come now, let us reason together. How, how come God would say that if he, if he wants us to hang our brains on the doorstep when we come in the church and just, and just sacrifice our brain on the altar of faith? No, He wants us to engage our thought and begin to note. And we'll talk more about it. The knowledge of God. Here, here, and the knowledge of what God is doing in the earth. Okay? And so... We, we, God commands us to you. He said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a command. We're called to reason, think, consider, and act on what is absolutely true. Amen. Number two, everyone starts with a worldview. Everyone starts with a worldview. What's a worldview? It's a lens or a framework through which we view life. Now, the skeptic or the atheist, he views through the lens of naturalism. That's the way he sees life. There's nothing happened that just didn't naturally happen. That's how it is. And how many of you know when you look at life through that worldview, it's hard to see anything but what you're looking through. Right? Like us on the other side. Our worldview is that God is the creator of the universe. And He created it all, and we trust Him, and we look at life through that lens, and that's good. But how many of you know, if we're going to be able to affect our world, we're going to have the huge challenge to change some people's worldview. And that's a process. And that's where everyone starts with the worldview, how we view and look at life. And we've got the challenge upon us to, to, to deal with that. Uh, it says, uh, here's what uh, Rice said, Naturalism is a worldview that everything arose on its own by strictly natural processes. There is no reason behind the universe or, or, or life and no purpose looking forward. But if you are really willing to follow the evidence, wherever it leads, as Socrates suggested, then you're willing to follow it until it leads to an intelligent uncreated mind behind the universe. Socrates had something going on. He knew that, hey, there's something behind the curtain, if you will. Amen. Number three, understanding how something works doesn't mean that a designer or a creator isn't needed. How many of you understood, and I, I love this, I can remember a little bit of this, I can't remember much, but you remember in elementary school when you learned about photosynthesis and carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide and how the world works, I just thought, that's amazing. How that all, you know, the, the I, I couldn't go, I mean, I just, man, that's, how many of you know, that's how something works. Now, from a Christian perspective, we go, man, God is so awesome. 
God is so big, so awesome. But from a skeptic's mindset or a naturalist mindset, he just said, well, we figured out how it all works. See, nature's taking care of itself. But here's what we're saying. Understanding how something works doesn't mean that a designer or a creator isn't needed. Uh, here's a good example. Just because we know how a car engine works doesn't mean Henry Ford did not exist. In fact, from our perspective, I'm going to, in fact, you can turn to, turn to Romans chapter 1. From our perspective, we look at creation and we go, that's evidence of God. Have you ever just walked out and looked at the beauty of creation and went, how could anyone not believe that God did not create all of this? It's amazing. Even like I told you, the little, the, the biology of plant life just is amazing to me. The biology of reproduction is just amazing to me. Okay? And so, uh, uh, just because you know how it works doesn't mean it didn't need a creator. How many of you know, I don't have my phone with me. Uh, nor, normally that's not the case. Uh, I think I left it at home. I hope I left it at home. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, Steve Jobs, who is somewhere, unless he, to me, had a uh, last hour conversion. I'm not sure he's in heaven. Uh, but you take that iPhone, you can take it all apart and figure out how it works. But guess what you're not going to find? You're not going to find Steve Jobs. But you know what you're going to see? The evidence of Steve Jobs. In fact, uh, one of the illustrations I read, a, a Russian cosmonaut years ago went up into space. And he came back and said, God, I got a prayer and I didn't see God. He was looking for something. He, he was, it's like he, uh, he was looking for something that was... Uh, you know, he was looking for physical, tangible uh, God, but the evidence of God was all around him. Okay? Romans chapter 1. In fact, Romans chapter 1, I would encourage all of you to read the entire chapter and kind of uh, digest it uh, uh, from the standpoint of our topic tonight. Uh, Romans chapter 1 I think it's verse 18, um, says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, catch this, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I want to tell you, that's, that's what we're facing today. We're facing, facing a culture that is endeavoring to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's kind of like, you ever, you ever got in a swimming pool and tried to keep a beach ball down under the water? And the further you try to press it, what's that beach ball saying? I ain't staying there. In fact, it's just impossible to keep it down. It's just going to pop back up. That's the good thing about the truth. Ultimately, as, as we read in the second, uh, chapter of, uh, second Corinthians chapter 10, uh, that the truth of God will ultimately demolish uh, the the, the arguments and the vain things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. But it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because, catch this, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now, uh, I'm going to ponder, I'm going to stop and just tell a quick testimony that's in the beginning of the book. Uh, 
uh, Rice Brooks had a brother who was in college. He was uh, uh, learning and, and going to school to be a lawyer, and he was about three or four years into that. And he was an antagonist, an antagonist, and an atheist. And he came, went home one day, told his friends, "And I'm going home, going home, get my little brother Rice off this Jesus stuff." He prepared like a, a dissertation. He said, "I'm going to get him off of this." Uh, and uh, Rice tells the story that as he began to talk, and Rice would just simply respond, the truth of God just began to soften his heart. And he said something to his brother like this. He said, it's not what you, kn- what you don't know about God uh, that's got you all in a... It's what you already know, Rice. There's something on the inside, or his brother, I don't know his brother's name. It's what you already know. You know something about God, and what you're trying to do is suppress it. You know he's real. And so the story goes that before the weekend was out, Rice baptized him in the swimming pool. And today's a very successful, God-fearing, uh, faith-sharing Christian in Austin, Texas today. Uh, and so uh, uh, this scripture was a part of his discussion with him. He says this, Because what, we, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now catch verse 20. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Now, did you catch that? His invisible attributes are clearly seen. The, 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 the attributes of God, the creativity of God, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are what? Made. Even His eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Anybody, you ever heard anybody ask the question about, well, what about the heathen, uh, you say the heathen in Africa. Africa is one of the most converted uh, nations in the world now. I mean, they're just being converted at a record pace, but we, there's still unreached people in the world. And well, what about the unreached people of the world? God going to send them to hell? Well, according to this scripture, the nature of God declares his glory. You look at his creation and go, wow, Shazam, he's real. Okay. And so... Amen. It's a powerful scripture. Understanding how something works doesn't mean that a designer or creator isn't needed. Uh, here's a good example. It's like looking for the evidence of the existence of an actor by tearing apart the TV set, uh, TV set, or the evidence of an artist by tearing out the, trying to find the artist. You take his painting and tear it. You're not going to find it, but you will find the evidence that he has been there, right? Whew. The evidence of, of a creator is always in his creation. It's really true. Number four. I don't know what time it is. I don't have my watch. Here we go. God has given us enough reasons to believe. He really has. And what the world spent their time trying to do is to suppress the truth. All right? And I'll just move quickly to the next one. Uh, number five. Insults aren't arguments. <laughs> Let me explain this one. Uh, uh, contrary to perception of atheism being a deeply scientific and intellectual position, uh, most of it boils down to a series of emotional rants against religion. Uh, Rice told us, and he to- tells us in a book, about going to the Global Atheist Convention in Australia back in 2012. He was doing research for this book. Can you imagine going to the Global Atheist uh, uh, Convention? He said the opening night, there were four speakers, and they were all comedians. That's all it was, the opening night. And all they did was make fun of us. There was no depth to their discussion. 
They just, just, there was no real reason. They were just ranting against Christianity and poking fun at us. That's what they do. In fact, uh, Richard Dawkins uh, said this in one of these meetings like this. It wasn't at this one. He said this, mock them, speaking about Christianity, mock them, ridicule them in public. And so we need to understand when it comes, when we're getting that from this world we live in, insults aren't arguments. That's their, that's their MO right now. And it's pretty shallow from the standpoint of, of they just mock us and ridicule us. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, it's important to remember that Jesus was the biggest critic of empty religion. You can't take all the mistakes done in the name of religion and build a straw man that isn't real. This is what Bill Maher does and others do. What's a straw man? A straw man is a term in philosophy that describes the fallacy of presenting an unfair or false picture of something you're trying to discredit. discredit. Classic case is calling all Christians what? Hypocrites. They're all hypocrites. You ever heard that? What they do, they built a straw man. There's no real case behind it, but they just build it. You ever go, you ever go into the supermarket and you see the tabloids and you read, uh, just unbelievable claims? You know, you know, Martin Sheen turns into an alien or something like that. And you go, that's stupid, but something in you wants to go, did he really? You know, is that true? Could that be? You see things like that on Facebook. You go, oh, you know, and, and this is what, this is what we face. They just build an insult. And what they'll do is they'll build a straw man. They did that with 9-11. That, oh man, all this religion, it's all a bunch of, you know, uh, 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 hooey and, and this is what Rice says. There's a big difference between a Sunday school teacher and a, uh, what do you call it, a suicide bomber. But what do they do? They take the suicide bomber and build a straw man. To insult us and to defame us. And that's their, that's their mindset. We need to understand that. And it's pretty shallow. And when we realize that, begin to get some insight and knowledge uh, going on the inside of us, we can begin to uh, uh, tear down the strong man. Here's some of the skeptics' favorite insults. Just quickly, I'll go through them. Believing in God is believing in a fairy tale. And Richard Dawkins, he calls it like believing in the flying spaghetti monster. I've never, anybody ever heard of a flying spaghetti monster? I never heard one. Uh, and, and a fairy tale, is, they say it's all a fairy tale. Here's what uh, Rice says. He says, there are no good reasons to believe in the tooth fairy or the flying spaghetti monster. There are good reasons to believe in God. But what do they say? They're, the skeptics, they say it's just, it's like believing in the tooth fairy. Here's an interesting stat that I just, it just says volumes to me, okay? Uh, It says this, 106 out of the first 108 universities in America were founded to promote the Christian faith. Did you catch that? I don't think it's in your notes. 106 out of the first 108 universities in America were founded to promote the Christian faith. No one has raised a university to a fairy tale. And you think about, you think about that one thought about the history of America and the history of the universities. They were built to promote the Christian faith. 
And so here's another one. They say the Bible's full of contradictions. I wish Kobe was here. He taught a series about the word of, pardon me, taught a session about the word of God. Uh, and they, they attack the Bible. They say it's full of, uh, of contradictions. But catch this. Nothing comes close to the Bible in terms of its historical accuracy. We also have more manuscripts of the Bible than any other ancient document. And in fact, uh, there's a chapter, chapter 8 is going to deal with this, but it stands, the Bible stands head and shoulders above every other ancient writing and holds great validity from just a historical standpoint. Uh, and so, then another thing they say, uh, the, miracle, the miracles in the Bible couldn't have happened. How many of you know they, the reason they say that? Because if they're a naturalist, everything happens by, by natural. And there can't be anything that undermines natural law. And so we know from a big biblical standpoint and even, even from a personal standpoint that miracles happen. In fact, it's, uh, here's, here's a good response Rice gives. Miracles aren't a violation of the laws of nature. Because God is the creator, he's free to in, inject an, a, a unique event into the system. Here is where the philosophy of naturalism is seen. They say miracles don't happen because they can't. They just can't. And, and let me tell you, uh, here's, in fact, Scripture says this. Uh, when someone's looking at life through the lens of naturalism, and they see a miracle right in front of their eyes, you know what the Bible says? They still won't believe. Because they have deceived themselves about what they believe. And I believe it's all natural and there is no God. So therefore there can't be a miracle. They come to false conclusions about what they believe. Are you with me? Say amen. Here we go. All right. So uh, just some quick skeptics. Some of their favorite insults. Uh, And then number six. Faith is the product of thinking. Unbelief is the product of not thinking. I like this. Unbelief is many times the result of a lack of effort, not a lack of evidence. Now, think about this. In fact, years and years ago, what was his name? Dawson. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, Evidence that demands a verdict. Anybody remember his name? He wrote years ago. I'll get it. It'll it'll come into my head later. Uh, Evidence that demands a verdict. Nathan actually met him years ago. uh, But he put together a a textbook about evidence for God. uh, And... and, uh, he put, and he came at all this from a skeptic standpoint. And as he began to study and put forth effort, he began to realize what he, his unbelief was not based on facts. And so we need to understand, everybody say faith is not blind. Faith is not, is the product of thinking. It is of engaging our mind. In fact, remember Romans, hey, you engage your mind and you just begin to open up and look at the world around you. Look at how plants are made and all those things. You go, my goodness, how could that have just happened? All right. And so, uh, unbelief is a product of not thinking. You need to understand that. When, when some people say, I just don't believe in God. Josh McDowell, thank you so much. Did you Google it? Thank you, Josh McDowell. In fact, I got a video from Nathan. He did a little tour with, what's that, Beverly? Uh, the big thing, Choir of the Fire. He did it for a year. They, he, had, he toured with the band, was in Choir of the Fire. So he played in these big uh, conferences. And I get this video from him. Here's Josh McDowell, one of my heroes of the faith, with some kind of funny jersey. I'm going, hi, Sam. It's good to talk to you today uh, by way of video. I'm here with your son, Nathan. He's a great kid. We're having good at a Choir of the Fire. I'm going, yeah, that was awesome. 
Uh, anyway, that's my side note. Nathan gets to meet all the people. I just get to see the videos. Uh, and so uh, wherever he'll introduce me, uh, he introduced me to a uh, musician, big worship guy, Israel Houghton, uh, here last year. And so uh, anyway, that's just a side note. So faith is the product of thinking. Unbelief is a product of not thinking. Uh, either a person hasn't heard the truth or they simply don't want to hear something that might challenge their beliefs and especially their lifestyle. I, rem- I, I remember uh, discussing uh, the end times with a good friend who's now in heaven. His name is uh, uh, um, uh, Warren, uh, Frank Warren. He's been in heaven a while. Frank's an, an older gentleman, uh, and we sat together and talked about eschatology, the study of the end times. Now, he's a believer, but he has some set beliefs about something. And he would tell me what he believes about the end times. I said, Frank, if you believe that, then you've got to believe this. And I would challenge his mode of thought. And he said, I don't know anything about that, but I believe this. He didn't want more knowledge. And that's the, way, that's the way some unbelievers are. When you start, hey, let me just tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you what history says. Let me tell you, oh, I don't know about that. I just don't. Why? They don't want to be challenged by the truth. They developed a system. I've, I've asked people if there's 1% chance that what I'm telling you is true and that there is a heaven, there is a hell, and Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, are you willing to gamble your life away for 1% chance that what I'm telling you might be true? Are you willing to gamble eternity without studying this out? Wowzers. Everybody go, amen. All right, here we go. Number seven, we're about done. Uh, I hope I haven't gone too long. Uh, Faith involves three key ingredients, and here they are, knowledge, the knowledge of God, but not just in Scripture, but, hey, the knowledge of, of, of uh, all of creation around us, and, and, uh, uh, and we just need to gain as much knowledge, head knowledge, heart knowledge, biblical knowledge, uh, and, and if you don't know Him, you, hey, when you, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, in other words, gaining knowledge, but then the second part is assent. That's the willingness to enter into a contract or an agreement with God. We must, we must want to obey and follow what we know to be true. Our will must be exercises and choices must be made. God is, isn't coercing you into a relationship with Him. We've got to say yes. Everybody go yes. I hear all of this and I say yes. And the third part of faith, uh, uh, pardon me, uh, of faith involves trust. It's a commitment of the heart. It's a little different than faith. It's a, it's a willingness to say, hey, you know, it's one thing to say, I believe God did all this. I know God did all this. But the next step for us is I'm going to begin to trust Him with my life. Are you with me? So, We've got to gain knowledge. We've got to say yes. We've got to put our trust in Him. And so tonight, closing remarks, let's preach the gospel. Everybody say, preach the gospel. What's the gospel? Here it is. It's not, is it in your notes? I think it is. Let's read it together. This is a, a great definition by Rice Brooks, and we're done. Here we go, the gospel, which is, by the way, the gospel is what? The, somebody say the good news. 
the gospel, here we go, everyone out loud, let's lift our voice a little bit uh, and, and begin to understand and know the gospel. And let me just, before we do this, let me say, if, if you don't know this, if you can't communicate this truth, you are in, this is some knowledge you and I have to have. If you, if you can't communicate the gospel, uh, then how on earth can we be the light of the world and be contagious? With that in mind, let's read it. What is the gospel? Here we go. Everybody out loud, pretty loud. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived, and He died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, He rose from the dead, proving that He is the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to all who repent and believe the gospel. And everybody said, Amen.